one. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast... Anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Jason. The 1960s may well be the golden age of animated television. Cartoons usually designated for Sunday mornings, or Saturday mornings, sorry. <laughs> 1960s cartoons invented, included like the Flintstones if you were into ancient history, or the Jetsons if you wanted to be futuristic, Johnny Quest if you were adventurous, the, the Smurfs even started in the late 60s in France. There was one series, though far from my favorite, that has stood the test of time maybe better than most. Scooby-Doo first aired in the late 1960s and it has continued through many different iterations since then. Each episode of Scooby-Doo followed an identical formula. The Scooby gang hops into the mystery machine, drives off to some new destination with a plan to capture the bad guy. 
and the final scene of the episode, the villain's true identity gets exposed, right? The makeup gets washed off. The disguise is revealed. Whatever mask they're wearing gets taken off and their true self is exposed, right? It's Professor Greer. It's Captain Eddie. It's Mr. Greenfield, you know. All of them had ulterior motives for putting on a mask, hiding their wicked intentions and their true selves. In the Gospels, there is a word that gets repeated directly from the mouth of the Lord Jesus, which describes a similar idea. It is a word that means an actor, a stage player, a pretender, Someone who is wearing a mask. Of the 20 times this word gets used in the Gospels, 15 of them show up in Matthew, and three of them in our text. It's in verse 2. It's in verse 5. It's in verse 16. It is the Greek word hupokrites. And in English, it is exactly what it sounds like. Hypocrites. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has warned that your righteousness has to surpass the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. In the text this morning, he gives concrete examples saying when you give charitably to get attention to yourself, you are just a pretender. When you pray in order to have people hear how pious you are, you are just stage acting. When you fast and you mope around with some painfully pathetic look on your face trying to catch everyone's eye, you are just putting on a show. Each of these is an attack against the self-righteous hypocrisy of the scribes and Pharisees and an instruction for his true disciples to avoid such pretense. Just to give you an idea of how this would have been received later on in Matthew's gospel, this accusation reaches a sort of fever pitch as Jesus spends almost the entirety of Matthew chapter 23 in a diatribe denouncing the Pharisees and scribes' hypocrisy. He's going to say to them in Matthew 23, you're hypocrites because you tell others they're not fit for the kingdom of heaven and you are not fit for the kingdom of heaven. You're hypocrites because you devour widows' houses even while making a show of your long, eloquent prayers. You are hypocrites who will travel half the world in order to make one convert and in the process you make him twice the child of hell as yourselves. You're hypocrites who will pay tithes of table spices like mint and anise and cumin and yet ignore the greatest matters of the law like justice and mercy and faith. You are hypocrites. You are like cups that are clean on the outside but inside it's full of filth. You're hypocrites like whitewashed tombs that look beautiful on the outside and yet inside they are filled with nothing but rotting, decaying dead man's bones. You start to get the idea that Jesus despises religious hypocrisy. And apparently, based on the message this morning from Hosea 6, this is a message we need to hear twice. In fact, this is why Jesus 
later gives that same group homework telling them to go learn what Hosea 6 verse 6 means when it says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. We learned this morning that that text teaches that the external pretense of worship without a heart devoted to God is nothing less than hypocrisy. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches that hypocrisy, listen, it appears to pay off in the short term. It may well earn the reward that it wants. Three times in here, as he calls these hypocrites pretenders who do what they do, quote, that they may be seen of men, each one of those three times, it is followed with the statement, assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Or in other words, they get what they're after. They want attention, they want recognition from men, and they have it, but such pharisaical phonies will receive no reward from the Father in heaven. To this point in the Sermon on the Mount, you know that Jesus has insisted on real, heartfelt, inner commitment and loving devotion to God while demanding righteousness that goes beyond the external appearances. And if we ask ourselves why, we find out this morning insincere motives are an intolerable mask in the eyes of the Lord. And the day is coming, Jesus says, when God, who sees every secret thing, is going to reach down and unmask religious hypocrites, exposing them for the villains that they are. Now, as we dig into this text, here's how we're going to break it down, as Jesus deals with several different aspects of righteous behavior. His intent in this section is to be focused on our motives. And so, in verses 1 through 4, Jesus deals with giving charitably, and the question is our motives. Why should you give? In verses 5 through 8, the topic is prayer. Why should you pray? In verses 16 through 18, the issue is fasting. Why should you fast? Now, obviously, that leaves out a really big section of the text, right? We are not going to delve into the model prayer this morning. In that second section, as Jesus deals with prayer, after, after dealing with why you should pray, Jesus sort of parenthetically explains how you should pray. But I will note, even though we're passing over that for this week, there is still an emphasis in this on motives. Look at verses 15, 14 and 15, for example. Right? He's taught us to pray to God, forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. But he teaches in verses 14 and 15, if you're not willing to really forgive, your motives are wrong and the Father's not going to honor those kind of hypocritical motives. So that leaves our three sections. Why should you give? Why should you pray? Why should you fast? Well, there's even one more thing I think we have to deal with before digging into those. And I, I know it makes it seem like the sermon introduction is going to last all the way to the conclusion. Right? Every time Jesus here deals with motives, he's clear that there is a potential bad motive that we need to avoid. In verse 1, 
Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. In verse 5, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. In verse 16, moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. So I think we conclude trying to, have to, to, to do your charity and your prayer and your fasting, but doing it in a way in order to be seen, that's the bad motive, right? But can you back up with me earlier in the Sermon on the Mount for a second? Back in chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, it's certainly possible to hear that teaching, right? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and then come to Matthew chapter 6 and think, well, this is an unexpected twist, right? Charitable giving, prayer, fasting, those are all good things, right? It's not a trick question. (laughs) Charitable giving and prayer and fasting, those are all good things, And so back in chapter 5, you are to let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works in Matthew 5, but don't do good works so that they can be seen in Matthew 6. Well, is this a contradiction? Obviously not. Avoiding hypocrisy is not about just what you do The issue is your motivation for why you do what you do. As a reminder, back in chapter 5 when we dealt with that text about being the light of the world and letting your light shine before men, we noted those examples were examples of reflected light, right? Who is the light of the world? The light of the world is Jesus. And yet... The example is you are like a candle that's put on a lampstand and it's set up in the corner, up near the, the, the ceiling so that the light from the candle reflects off the ceiling. It reflects off the walls. Jesus says it gives light to all that are in the house. This is an example of reflected light. This is why when men see your good works, back in that example in chapter 5, when men see your good works, do they glorify you? No. He says, let, your, let men, when they see your good works, that they would glorify your Father who is in heaven. Your good works are a reflection of him and the glory belongs to him. And so the motives that Jesus describes here in Matthew chapter 6, the motives which he condemns, are with the goal of doing your good works before men, that you would get the attention and approval of men. Jesus would 
He would contradict himself here if he had come along and said, now don't give charitably, don't pray, don't fast, right? It's not that doing those good works, it's wrong. It's that the motive of doing those to get glory for yourself is wrong. When your good works reflect the goodness of God and you deflect all the praise and glory to him, then you are just reflecting the light of Jesus. But if you, you know, in in religious piety attempt to receive affirmation from individuals so that they see you do good work so that they will look at you and say, oh, look at what a righteous person you are then in the process, you are actually attempting to hide the light of the world in your own shadow. Even if the good works are identical, right? So that the hypocrite gives charitably and you give charitably. The hypocrite prays and you pray. The hypocrite fasts and you fast, right? That loving child of God and the self-righteous hypocrite do the exact same external behavior motives matter. And so let's see how Jesus explains this, starting with giving charitably. Why should you give? Verse 1. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not Sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Take heed, Jesus says. Take heed. The the NIV translates this as be careful. Other translations say beware. There is a danger in what Jesus is picturing here. And the danger is not be careful about giving charitably because giving is not wrong. And as a matter of fact, back in chapter 5, verse 32, Jesus just said in this sermon, give to him who asks of you and and, and from him who wants to borrow from you, don't turn away. In other words, if someone is asking you for a loan or just outright begging for a handout, give without grudging. So the giving is not the thing to worry about here. Just like true righteousness is internal, the danger is internal. The danger isn't just watch what you do. Jesus is saying watch why you do what you do. There's no state-sponsored welfare system or social security in ancient Israel. Charitable giving was a part of their religious life and the, it was expected and commanded of God's people. We talked a while back about tithing and noted there were actually three tithes required in the Old Testament and one of them was called the benevolence tithe, this giving of grain and food into a public storehouse for the benefit of the poor, the widow, the orphans. And on top of that tithe, individuals were expected to be charitable in their giving. In Leviticus, in Deuteronomy, throughout the Old Testament, almsgiving or charitable giving to the poor was the expectation of righteous life. Such generosity was seen 
as an act of righteousness. So much so that the Jewish people became convinced that rich folks were at a spiritual advantage. Not only were they certain that, well, those rich folks are rich because God has blessed them due to how righteous they are, but then as those righteous people take their riches and give charitably, they are obtaining even more righteousness by the things that they do. You can see how this would be a very this would be very bad news for a poor man since that meant obviously he didn't begin with righteousness enough for God to bless him with riches and lacking righteousness he doesn't have any way of giving to get more righteousness because he doesn't have the money to give with. Later on Jesus is going to make some folks heads explode when he says rich men are actually at a disadvantage. It's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into heaven. Know how controversial that was in the minds of the people listening? You can see how the the thinking of the day would lead them to make giving charitably into a big show. Right? Look, and how much God has blessed me. Obviously, you can see how righteous I am because of the way God has poured out his blessings on me. And now look as I take what I have and I obtain even more righteousness by giving it to those you know, poor, miserable rabble over there. Now I will say, there is no indication that I have found in history that the Pharisees or scribes or anyone else literally went out into the streets and synagogues blowing a trumpet in order to get attention. This is likely more hyperbole, right? Exaggerated language to make a point. Like when Jesus talks about a man having a beam stuck in his eye. That is an exaggerated language and we understand it. This is a graphic exaggeration of what's happening. In order to prove their goodness in the eyes of the community, the legalist Pharisees didn't actually go out blowing trumpets in order to get everyone's attention. They just made sure when they did their charitable deeds, someone was looking. All right, can you give me $5? Not right now. Let's wait till there's a crowd. Is it possible to be selfishly unselfish in that way? Is it possible to give to the poor, to help the helpless, to visit the sick, to do all kinds of right things and do them for the wrong reasons? Yes, Jesus says these hypocrites are doing their almsgiving, maybe not literally blowing a trumpet, But in practical terms, that's what they're doing because everything they do is just to get attention, is just to be seen by men, to have others confirm their righteousness. Jesus actually uses a very telling word when he speaks of them seeking to be seen or to be seen of men. It's the Greek word theothene. It's where we get our English word theatrical from. And so you get this combination of words Jesus is using. 
He's saying this is not righteousness. When those hypocrites, those stage actors, those performers, those people who are putting on a show and people are watching like they're going to the theater, they're spectators, and the actors, just, they get applauded when the show is over. They aren't trying to give glory to God. Jesus says in verse 2, they seek to have glory from men, and assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. They get the attention they're after. They are, in fact, glorified for the appearance of righteousness in the eyes of the people, but God sees what's under the mask. There's a story from the book of Acts that makes this abundantly clear. The transition point between Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, Luke tells us at the end of Acts 4 about a man named Barnabas who sold a piece of land, brought the money to the apostles, laid it down at their feet. This was an act of righteousness because his motives, it was just love for his brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. And, and it was an act of sacrificial giving for the benefit of others. And yet, as he did that, Acts 5 opens, letting us know there, were, there was this couple named Ananias and Sapphira watching in the background. And they decided to do the same thing for a different motive. They also went and sold a possession. They brought a portion of the proceeds and, and, and said, here's everything they got. And one at a time, they dropped dead. The apostle Peter called them out on the sin. And you have to understand, it was not the sin of withholding a portion of the money. He even says to them, the land was yours and the money was yours to do with what you want. The sin was that they had this deceitful desire to obtain attention for themselves. Their motivation was their own glory and not God's glory. That motivation, that Desire to get attention for yourself and glory for yourself. That was the goal of the hypocrites that Jesus describes here. Furthermore, when he says they have their reward, Jesus is actually using a word there that means that they've got their wages. They've received payment in full, right? They wanted men's attention. They got men's attention. But that attention is the full payment of what they're going to get. That is all they get. Verse 3, when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your charitable deed may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Listen, this is more hyperbolic, exaggerated language here, but it makes a point. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Is that even possible? Right? Can you give charitably and, and, and keep one hand behind your back and they don't know what's going on? It would take a frontal lobotomy in order to have this kind of ambidextrous ignorance. Right? This is, this is exaggerated language. The idea here is they're doing it in order to get other people's attention, but your motive is not so that other people will look at you when you give. I don't even want you to be looking at you. I want you to give because the Father who sees in secret sees it. And you have an audience of one. Every 
act of true righteousness is done for an audience of one. You don't have to look around to see whether or not you're getting the attention you desire. He says the Father who is in heaven sees every secret thing. If pleasing the heavenly Father is your motive, then you'll get your reward. And your reward is better than any gift. It is the divine approval of the gift giver himself. This is why you should give. Now, why should you pray? Start at verse 5. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, Pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. This is not hyperbole at all. (laughs) They really would go out and stand on the street corners. They would go out to the public places, into the temple and into the synagogues, and they would pray loudly in order to make a show of their righteousness with absolutely no exaggeration. Later on in Luke chapter 18, Jesus is going to tell the story of a Pharisee entering the temple and loudly praying thanking God for how I am not like other men. In Luke 18, verses 11 and 12, he describes the Pharisee stood in the temple and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast Twice a week, I pay tithe of all that I possessed. When Jesus told that story, I assure you, the people who heard him responded with, yeah, that's not hard to picture at all. I've seen it. Such prayers in which the speaker prays with himself, for himself, about himself are hypocrisy. Jesus goes on to say in that story that the simple prayer of the tax collector was, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Father in heaven honored that prayer. Now, we should note, it is not the Lord's intention here to criticize public prayer. We've been doing that this morning, and whoever the men are I've called on are probably feeling a little awkward, like, well, I was just praying and got hurt by people. There are far too many examples of public prayer in Scripture, especially as part of a worship gathering, to think that Jesus is rejecting here all prayer that would get heard by someone else. This is a directive teaching us about personal prayer, and personal prayer is private prayer. Go to your room. Close the door. By the way, don't you love it when Jesus sends you to your room? Go to a private place. And Jesus says, in that secret place, 
Pray there because your father, look at verse 6, he is in the secret place and he sees that secret place. When you're giving, when you're praying, when you're fasting, keep God's omnipresent sovereignty at the forefront of your mind. In years past, saints were encouraged to pray by the word was going into their prayer closet. Well, it doesn't have to be a closet. It can be. It can be your car, although if you're driving, please pray with your eyes open and your head up. It's just someplace private, someplace secret, someplace alone, someplace in which you're not putting on a show, but you know that when you go to that place and you're alone, you are not actually alone. Your father is there and he hears you and he sees you. He's there with you. This assumption of God's sovereignty also explains what Jesus means in verse 7 by when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think they will be heard for their many words, or I love the, the classic KJV, for their much speaking. Note the word there, vain. Not all repetition in prayer is vain. The word vain in Scripture carries the idea of empty. Now, prayer can be empty when it is empty recital of thoughtlessly repeating the same words over and over. That is vain. That is empty repetition. But we'll see later in Matthew 26 in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew describes Jesus prayed many times, quote, using the same words. So repetition is not inherently vain. Thoughtless, empty repetition is what is prohibited here. If the only words you ever pray is, God is great, God is good, thank you for this food, amen. You're not really believing in God's greatness or proclaiming his goodness or offering your thankfulness, and frankly, you're not even rhyming all that well. Vain repetition is thinking that you are going to get God's attention by how much you said it. He's going to honor your much speaking, your many words. Vain repetition is what Roman Catholicism promotes when a priest tells a repentant parishioner, okay, now go say five Our Fathers and ten Hail Marys and do an act of attrition and all, contrition and all will be fine. How sadly ironic is it that the very model prayer from verses 9 through 13 becomes their text for vain repetition that is prohibited in verse 7. A person who really seeks God in prayer can obtain forgiveness with nothing more than a genuine God be merciful to me, a sinner. But without sincerity, 10,000 repetitions of the model prayer are not going to get God's pleasure onto an unrepentant heretic. Why should you fast? Verse 16. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, 
anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Why should you fast? Let's just knock the word why off there. Should you fast? Yes. Again, this is assumed by the Lord Jesus. The the three parallels here are when you give, when you pray, when you fast. He assumes that this is something that Christians will engage in. Fasting is a method of focusing on God even at the expense of daily needs and pleasures such as food. Much like prayer, fasting can be done individually, it can be done corporately, it is accompanied with expressing grief over sin or seeking God's wisdom in prayer, focusing on his provision for the every need you have, including the, the, the need for energy when you haven't eaten anything. I think this is part of what the Lord pictured in the Beatitudes when he speaks of those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Fasting, though, became a way for the religious hypocrites to display their piousness. Pharisees would routinely fast twice a week, on, specifically on Mondays and Thursdays. I like how John MacArthur explained this, so I'll just give you the quote. Quote, they claimed those days were chosen because those were the days Moses made two separate trips to receive the tablets of law from God on Mount Sinai. But... Those two days also happened to be the major Jewish market days when the cities and towns were crowded with farmers and merchants and shoppers. They were, therefore, the two days when public fasting would have the largest audiences. And they would wear holy clothes. And I don't mean holy like sanctified. I mean literally worn with holes in them. They would muss their hair and put ashes in it. They would put dirt on their faces and make them cry so the dirt smeared with their tears. It's like the commercial of the the mom who, you know, was splashing flour on her face before serving the easy-bake meal. Oh, Baruch, you look awful. Are you okay? Oh, I'm fasting. In his commentary on Matthew, Robert Gundry noted the irony of how in attempting to obtain recognition, they made themselves unrecognizable. When you fast, Jesus said, brace yourself for this, comb your hair and wash your face. Like, we need to be told. Don't try to make a big deal of it. Fasting is between yourself and God and your relationship with God There are ways that a child of God is going to naturally, because of their new inner character, their new self, their new life from above, they're going to stand out from the world, but you don't have to put on a show. Your relationship with God is not a performance for those around you. And if you start finding yourself performing for the crowd, the very first thought you have in your mind of, well, I'm going to do this because it's going to make it obvious to people how righteous I am, you are on very dangerous ground. You might impress them. In fact, 
if Jesus is to be believed, and he is, not only might you impress them, you probably will impress them. But such hypocrisy disgusts God. Oh, we got to wrap up. There's an old Hollywood story about the actor Robert Redford. He found himself on an elevator with a lady who just kept staring at him, looking at him out of the corner of her eye, like unsure of who he was. And Redford didn't say anything because he was tired from a long day of shooting. He was on his way to his hotel room and he kept thinking, just smile, you're almost there, only two more floors. And the elevator stopped the floor before his and the woman stepped out. And as she walked out of the elevator, she turned around as it was closing and finally grew the nerve to ask, are you the real Robert Redford? And at the last second, he leaned over the closing doors and said, only when I'm alone. When other people are around, he had to be the actor. He had to be the performer. He was the celebrity. He never got to be off stage. A fair question to ask yourself is, are you really who you seem to be? I don't know why the Lord determined in his providence that today was the day we needed a double dose of messages on hypocrisy. But the lesson from the Lord Jesus in this text echoes the message from Hosea. And frankly, he's not saying something new. He is, here he's simply sounding the same prophetic voice of the saints that he called in the past to speak his word. In fact, in Matthew chapter 15, he's going to quote Isaiah and he's going to say in Matthew 15, verse 7 and 8, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you that these people draw close to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I know that you made it to church this morning. If I turned around in song service, I would probably see your lips moving. I see where you are this morning. Where is your heart this morning? Are you here because your heart is close to God or because you want the people here to think that your heart is close to God? You know he knows the difference, right? I might not. Your spouse might not. Your family might not. All the people in the pews this morning might not. You can wear a mask and pretend to be something you're not. You can convince everyone and maybe even convince yourself, but there is no secret from God. Look at how many times the Lord uses this word secret. It's twice in verse 4, it's twice again in verse 6, and there's twice more in verse 18. And every time he uses it, it is this, this pairing of words. It is a combination of saying, well, you're, you're in the secret place, and the Father is there in the secret place, and he sees all those things that are done in secret. If you're putting on a show so that the only time you are really who you are is when you're alone, you're not fooling the Father. He's there. He knows. And that is a good test of sincerity. You have the kind of righteousness that comes through a loving relationship with him 
Or is your righteousness a religious costume that you wear in public, hoping desperately that nobody sees through the disguise? Jesus will not allow it. In this text, he warns us about our motives. Why is it that you do what you do? And his concern is not with those motives for you to watch out what other people think of you. Instead, it is to remind us here, do all things in sincerity because he knows what's under the mask. 